Lesson 11 for December 8 through to 14, Unity in Worship, Sabbath afternoon, December 8. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, your word tells us that we need to live in unity, but we also worship in unity, and we pray as we study about this this week that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We're listening to this in various places, whether it be in Australia or New Zealand or North America or in Europe or in the Caribbean or in Africa. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that we may come together with our different languages, our different cultures, our different upbringing, and worship you in unity. Bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Let's read that again. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Soon after the day of Pentecost, the early Christians spent much of their time in worship. As it says in Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The joy that came from knowing Jesus as the Messiah, the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecies, filled their hearts with thanksgiving and gratitude to God. What a privilege to know this wonderful truth! These early Christians felt the need to spend time together in fellowship, study, and prayer, all in order to thank God for His revelation in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and for what He had done in their lives. The Church of Jesus Christ is by definition a worshipping community called into being by God to be a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 Gratitude to God expressed in community worship transforms people's hearts and minds into the likeness of the character of God and prepares them for service. This week's lesson focuses on the meaning of worship and how it preserves unity among believers in Jesus. Sunday, December 9, Worshipping Our Creator and Redeemer In discussions about worship, we often highlight elements of worship, what it includes and how it is done. 
But what is the deep meaning of worship? What does it mean to worship God? And why do we do it? In Psalm 29 too, David states, Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This psalm points us in the right direction to understand the meaning of worship. To worship the Lord is to give him the glory and honour he deserves. Question. Read Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. What reasons did the inhabitants of heaven give for worshipping God and Jesus, the Lamb of God? And we'll look at several verses individually after we've read that. Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And chapter 5 of Revelation. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold... In the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests in our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives for ever and ever. And then we're asked to look at specific verses. Revelation 4, verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And verses 12 and 13 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. This depiction of worship in the throne room of heaven, as Jesus is introduced as the Lamb of God and Saviour of the world, is awe-inspiring. Worship happens when God's creation responds to him with words of adoration and thankfulness for what he has done. Worship is the response of a grateful person for God's creation and salvation. At the end time, the redeemed will also join in adoration and respond in a similar way to God's salvation. Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. That's Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4. So, worship is a response of our faith in God for His mighty works. 
first for creating us, and second for redeeming us. In worship, we give to God the adoration, reverence, praise, love and obedience we believe He is worthy to receive. Of course, what we know about God as our Creator and Saviour comes from what He revealed to us in Scripture. Furthermore, what Christians know about God was revealed more fully in the person and ministry of Jesus. As we read in John 14, verses 8 to 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father." And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is why Christians worship Jesus as Saviour and Redeemer, as his sacrificial death and resurrection are at the very core of worship. When Christians come together in worship, it is out of this sense of awe and thankfulness that our worship should proceed. And so to finish today, think about what we have been given in Christ as our Creator and Saviour, about what He has spared us from, and about what He offers us, all because He willingly died in our stead. Why should these truths be the foundation of all our worship? Monday, December 10, False Worship Question. Read Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. What was Jesus' third temptation in the wilderness? Matthew 4, beginning at verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. With pride and arrogance, Satan declared himself to be the rightful ruler of the world, the owner of all its riches and glory, claiming the honour and respect of all who live in it, as if he had created the world. What an insult to God the Creator! Satan revealed that he knows exactly what worship is about. It is about giving honour and respect to the rightful owner of the universe. Question. Compare the experience of the three Hebrew friends in Daniel 3, especially verses 8 to 18, with that of the believers who will face the end-time power of Revelation 13, verse 4, and 14, verses 9 to 11. What is at stake at the time of the end? What is the core issue in both accounts? 
First of all, Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 to 18. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And Revelation 13, verse 4. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And Revelation 14, beginning at verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name." from Cain and Abel to the three Hebrew boys in Babylon to final events regarding the mark of the beast of Revelation 16.2, Satan seeks to establish a false system of worship, one that takes people away from the true God and, even if subtly, direct worship toward himself. After all, Even from before the fall, he wanted to be like God. As it says in Isaiah 14.14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. It's no coincidence that just as the three young men faced the threat of death unless they were to worship an image in the last days, God's faithful people will face the threat of death unless they will worship an image as well. 
Why worship any image when we are called to worship the true God himself? Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 512 and 513, Important are the lessons to be learned from the experience of the Hebrew youth on the plain of Dura. The season of distress before God's people will call for a faith that will not falter. His children must make it manifest that He is the only object of their worship, and that no consideration, not even that of life itself, can induce them to make the least concession to false worship. To the loyal heart, the commands of sinful, finite men will sink into insignificance beside the word of the eternal God. Truth will be obeyed, though the results be imprisonment, or exile, or death. And so to finish today. What are different ways, even now, that we can be tempted into worshipping anyone else other than the only being worthy of our worship? How might false worship be a more subtle threat than we realise? What are some things that we might even now be tempted to worship? Tuesday, December 11, the first angel's message. Seventh-day Adventists see the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, 6-12 as depicting their mission and the core of their message just before the second coming of Jesus, as recorded in Revelation 14, 14-20. Let's read that, Revelation 14, beginning at verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and cast the clusters of the vine to the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress, up to the horses' bridles, for one thousand six hundred furlongs. These are the important messages to be preached with a loud voice to all inhabitants of the earth. Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. What is the first angel's message? And... What does it say about God? Why is there a reference to worship in this message? Revelation 14, beginning at verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, 
Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. The first of the three angels' messages proclaims a message to the entire world. This is the fulfilment of Jesus' prediction in Matthew twenty four fourteen, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. There is a sense of urgency and haste in the depiction of these three angels and their mission. The first message urges people to focus on God because, as it says in verse 7, the hour of his judgment has come. The second coming of Jesus is the catalyst for the judgment. Fear God, the angel says in verse 7. For those who do not take God seriously, this message and call to action will indeed generate fear in their mind. But for those who have been followers of Jesus, this call invites awe and respect. They look up to God and see the fulfilment of his promises. A sense of grateful reverence for God overtakes them. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of waters, Revelation 14.7. This language makes an unmistakable allusion to the Sabbath commandment, with its reference to creation, as we read in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The God of creation, who instituted the Sabbath as a memorial of his creative power, is the one who is to be worshipped and revered. It is interesting to note that at the end of time, worship is identified as a key issue in the great controversy for the allegiance of the human race. This worldwide announcement is a call to worship the Creator. Renko Stefanovich, writing in Revelation of Jesus Christ, Commentary on the Book of Revelation, published in 2002, pages 444 and 445, writes, The central issue in the final crisis will be worship. Revelation makes clear that the test will not be denial of worship, but rather who is worshipped. At the time of the end, only two groups of people will be in the world, those who fear and worship the true God, and those who hate the truth and are worshippers of the dragon and the beast. If worship is the central issue in the final conflict, no wonder then that God sends his end-time gospel urging the inhabitants of the earth to take him seriously and worship him as the creator, the only one worthy of worship. Wednesday, December 12, Bible Study and Fellowship 
Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What were some of the elements of early Christian worship? Acts 2, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. From the earliest moments of the church, worship has been characterized by the centrality of the study of the word of God given to us by the apostles. The first Christians were faithful in studying the scriptures for what they said about Jesus the Messiah. They were in constant fellowship to share with one another the blessings God had given them and to encourage each other in their spiritual walk with God. In the word, they mined the sacred truths that became the foundation of their message to the world. Question. What do the following passages say about the importance of studying God's word in fellowship with other believers? First of all, Second Kings chapter 22, verses 8 through to 13. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. And Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 232, Wherever the truths of the gospel are proclaimed, those who honestly desire to do right are led to a diligent searching of the Scriptures. 
If, in the closing scenes of this earth's history, those to whom testing truths are proclaimed would follow the example of the Bereans, searching the scriptures daily, and comparing with God's word the messages brought them, there would today be a large number loyal to the precepts of God's law, where now there are comparatively few. End of quote. We are a united people because of the truths that we proclaim, truths that we find from the Word of God. This was true of God's church in the early days, and it is true of it today. The study of God's Word forms the core of both our worship to God and our unity as a people who have been called to proclaim the three angels' messages to the world. When we come together as a family to fellowship and worship, The scriptures speak to us, words from God to guide our lives in preparation for our mission and for Jesus' second coming. And so, to finish today, how firmly grounded are you from the Bible in what we believe? That is, are you grounded enough in it to the point where you could, like the three Hebrew boys, stand firm in the face of death? Thursday, December 13, Breaking of Bread and Prayer Whatever the challenges the early church faced, they were united in their common faith in Jesus and in the truth he had entrusted them to spread to the world. It's what Peter even called present truth in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. And thus, united in the truth, they expressed their unity in a number of ways. Acts 2.42 read, And they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This reference to breaking of bread probably refers to a fellowship meal or to regular meals shared between believers. At some point during the fellowship meal, someone would offer a special blessing over the bread and drink in memory of Jesus' death and resurrection in expectation of his soon return. Early Christians thus devoted their time to remembering the meaning of Jesus' life and ministry and loved to talk about it in fellowship meals. The meals they shared became moments of worship. Acts 2.46 and 47 reads, So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. No doubt, this time of fellowship together greatly helped strengthen the sense of unity they had in Jesus. Question. What examples do we have in the book of Acts of early Christians praying together? What did they pray for? Acts 1 verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And Acts 4 verses 23 to 31, 
and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, Look at their threats, and grant to your servants that, with all boldness, they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And Acts chapter 12, verse 12. So, when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. The early church cherished the opportunity for direct communication with God and never failed to offer up petitions to him when gathered together in worship. Paul, in his first epistle to Timothy, mentions the importance of prayer when Christians are together, in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. To the Ephesians, he also emphasized the need of prayer in Ephesians 6 verses 18 and 19, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me. And so to finish today, what are ways that we can experience a deeper unity through the power of intercessory prayer for common causes? How does this prayer help unite us as a church? Friday, December 14. From The Great Controversy, page 437 and 438, Ellen White writes, and she begins with quotes from J. N. Andrews' book, History of the Sabbath, page uh, chapter 27. The importance of the Sabbath as the memorial of creation is that it keeps ever-present the true reason why worship is due to God, because He is the Creator and we are His creatures. The Sabbath, therefore, lies at the very foundation of divine worship, for it teaches this great truth in the most impressive manner, and no other institution does this. The true ground of divine worship, not of that of the seventh day merely, but of all worship, is found in the distinction between the Creator and His creatures. This great fact can never become obsolete and must never be 
forgotten, and that ends the J. and Andrews quote. It was to keep this truth ever before the minds of men that God instituted the Sabbath in Eden. And, so long as the fact that He is our Creator continues to be a reason why we should worship Him, so long the Sabbath will continue as its sign and memorial. Had the Sabbath been universally kept, man's thoughts and affections would have led to the Creator as the object of reverence and worship, and there would never have been an idolater, an atheist, or an infidel. The keeping of the Sabbath is a sign of loyalty to the true God. Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. It follows that the message which commands men to worship God and keep His commandments will especially call upon them to keep the fourth commandment. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Since the biblical concepts of worship, creation and salvation are so closely intertwined, how do you think the celebration of the Sabbath could be God's antidote to false worship? What role does the Sabbath play in this end-time prophecy of Revelation fourteen six and 7, which I'll read? Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. Why is the Sabbath referred to in the first angel's message? 2. Oftentimes we talk about worship as a matter of content, things we should do or not do during worship. Is that good enough? What is worship really about? How is your local church experiencing meaningful worship? 3. In some societies, Christian community worship slowly is being forgotten or abandoned, even in Adventist communities. What can your local church do to counter this trend? And to summarise this week's lesson, worship is the Christian believer's thankful response to God for His gift of salvation. It also is an essential element of the Christian community's experience of unity and fellowship. Without prayer and Bible study, in a desire to know God's truth for us, our community will fail to experience oneness in Christ. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Ukrainian Builds 22 Churches and it's by Andrew McChesney from Adventist Mission. Construction company chief Vladimir Vladivosky knew it would take a miracle to build a Seventh-day Adventist church in the northern Russian seaport of Arkhangelsk. He had no blueprint for the project. He had only a few summer months to build the church, and a senior city administrator, without giving a reason, had vowed never to sign the paperwork. So Vladovsky secured a blueprint for the church's foundation and started work. Summer is very short 
in our kangolts, and we didn't have time to deal with bureaucracy, said Vladovsky, a Ukrainian native who had built 22 Adventist churches and other church facilities in Russia, Ukraine and Mongolia over two decades. So we started building. After laying the foundation, Vodovsky received the blueprint for the second stage and put his construction crew to work on the walls. Then came the next blueprint and the roof. Remarkably, no one from the city government tried to stop the construction. He, however, had not forgotten about the official paperwork. Vodovsky gathered his crew every morning to pray for a miracle at the construction site. A month passed, two months, three months. Arkhangel's summer lasts for only three months, from June to August. The exterior of the church was completed before the first snow fell in September. The interior was finished in December. Vodovsky returned to the city administrator to ask for the documents. He didn't know what to expect, but he felt at peace knowing that he had prayed daily and that the weather had stayed warm long enough to finish the church. The city administrator didn't say a word. He simply signed every document. In the end, he signed everything, Vodovsky said. I don't know why. It was a miracle. Vodovsky, a third-generation Adventist, who restored old buildings for a state construction company during the Soviet times, has encountered many miracles since he first teamed up with the Adventist Church by constructing the Euro-Asia Division's headquarters in Moscow in 1995. Currently, he is building churches in Krasnoyarsk, Tongst, and a third Russian city. But no miracle has been quite as remarkable as the one in Anglkusk in 1999, he said in an interview in Ukraine's capital, Kiev. We built a church without a blueprint and without permission, he said. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.